Welcome to the Nourish Babes podcast. We're your hosts, Bella and Madison, your go-to besties for all things women's wellness. We're here to help you balance your hormones, heal your gut, learn how to eat, exercise, sleep, manage your stress, break free of diet culture, and get confident as fuck about your own health and healing. Let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to season three of the Nourish Babes podcast. Bella and I are here in gorgeous San Diego recording a bunch of episodes for you all today. I love it. So before we get into this first episode of this season, we just want to give a little life update. Me, Bella, I finally moved into my new house with my fiance's parents. We've been going between our parents, so sometimes we stay at my parents, sometimes we stay at his parents. And it's just really nice to hang out with them and they're getting old and it's fun to spend time with them. Um, I'm also planning my wedding. That has been taking up so much time. Anyone who's ever planned a wedding before, like I give kudos to you because it is so much work. Uh, today I also asked Madison to be a bridesmaid in my wedding, which is so fun. So I can't wait for that day. Um, the last kind of life update I have is I'm starting to open one-on-one clients here soon. Again, I have lots of life stuff going on, so not exactly sure when, but keep an eye out for that. I'm sure once some of these podcasts come out, then it'll open, so I'm really excited about that. What about you, Maddie? So great. Another cool thing that Bella's doing is her and her mom are making (laughs) her own wedding dress. I can't wait. I'm so so excited. Um, Yeah, things with me have been awesome. So I just launched a new program called the Gut Goddess Academy. It's more of a group program. It's live. So it's we're starting um, enrollment has closed. So you can't join us now. But if you're listening in the future, I will probably open it up again in September and we'll do another round of that. So that's been awesome and fun to get started. Um, I've also, I mean, it's been winter, so I've been really trying to embrace winter and slowing down and just chilling because I know come like spring, summer, life's going to get a little bit crazy and I'm going to want to do more stuff outside. So I've just really been trying to chill and focus on my own business stuff and just do my own thing. I've also been walking a ton every single day, really been trying to get outside still in the winter. I've also been dancing a lot, so I've been going to this thing called Ecstatic Dance. I love it. so fun. Um, If you haven't heard of Ecstatic Dance, it's, I'm sure there's Ecstatic Dance everywhere, but that's been super fun. And I also booked myself a trip to Mexico for my entire birthday month, which is in April, so that will be amazing. And we're also going to Cancun. Bella's yes. having a bachelorette party in Cancun in May. So I will be in the sunshine and on the beach all of May or all of April and part of May, which will be so fun. I love it. I literally can't wait for the trip. There's like 12 or 13 of us going and it's going to be so fun. Okay. Um, also, before we get started, I wanted to mention that I'm a little bit sick. So if in these podcast episodes, I sound a little nasally that's why but we're just pushing through it and I honestly feel great and I'm so excited to be back here with you same same so in this episode we're gonna cover all the things that have to do with testing so the downfalls of standard testing and even alternative testing so things like blood work stool tests etc and when it comes down to why you should do these or why you shouldn't do these before getting into a certain protocol 
So have you ever heard of the phrase, test, don't guess? So a lot of people online are saying this, a lot of coaches say this phrase that you have to test, otherwise you're guessing with your health. Really, so testing often is toting the idea that you have to first determine what's going wrong, quote unquote, with your health before you jump into a protocol. So this is pretty much the standard in both conventional and holistic modalities of healing, right? You go to a doctor, you always get tested. You go to a functional medicine doctor, you get testing done first. So in our own experience as nutritionists and health coaches, we actually think the whole idea of that if you're testing, you're guessing is actually false. So do you really need to spend hundreds of dollars on blood, stool, or hair tests? Will it really make much of a difference in what you need to do to feel better and which things, which tests are actually worth it. I love it. So we're going to talk about the different types of gut and hormone tests, the pros and cons of each, our personal experiences with testing, and how we approach testing to help our clients without actually using many of these expensive testing methods. Now, we want to preface by saying we don't think all tests are bad. A lot of information and things can come out of testing, especially like your typical Western medicine testing, like if you break your arm or for example, I recently, not recently, but a few years ago, I dislocated my kneecap and I got like a CAT scan done just to learn more about what was going on. Um, So again, we're not against all testing, but when it comes to chronic illness, this is where we definitely see more nuance and can see more negatives that actually come from testing rather than positives. So with that, let's get into it. So first, let's talk about some common testing methods in the gut health world. So as far as conventional tests go, so if you are struggling with gut issues, you've probably seen a regular general practitioner, maybe they've done some tests, maybe they did a blood panel, a stool test. Um, Those are very common. Then you might see more of a specialist or a gastroenterologist who might do a colonoscopy, an endoscopy. There's also something called the barium x-ray where you actually are under an x-ray machine and you swallow this fluid and they kind of watch how it goes through your body. They also do, sometimes we'll do a liver and gallbladder ultrasound and maybe a some kind of food allergy test, which is an, a skin prick test. They won't take your blood, but it is a skin prick food allergy test. So those are some of the conventional tests that you might have gotten done or are encouraged to do if you're struggling with gut issues. And let's talk about a couple of pros. So the first one is that these tests can often rule out more severe gut issues, right? If you get a colonoscopy, they're probably going to be able to tell if you have Crohn's or colitis, which are more severe. Um, and or they can determine whether or not you have celiac disease. So that's a good thing. I think a lot of people like to get these tests done because they want to rule out some severe Mm -hmm. kind of gut issues. So it might give you some type of direction to go or it just might rule out some of those more severe cases. And another one is that insurance usually helps cover these tests, right? You don't have Mm -hmm. to pay out of pocket for a lot of these. Um, And so that's another pro to some of these things. And then the last one is it might feel validating knowing that something is wrong, right? If you're having mm-hmm. all these symptoms and struggling and you get this test done and it's like, yeah, there's there's a little bit of inflammation here. Or you have this thing going on. It, it can be validating knowing that you're not crazy or that there's like something that could be addressed to actually come up with the protocol. So those are the only pros that I thought of. Um, 
more so there's cons. So one of the biggest ones is that often when people get a diagnosis, it becomes part of their identity. They identify with this diagnosis forever. They begin to think they're sicker than they actually are. And really that diagnosis can stay with you for a really long time. So that's one that I think is a con is that, yes, it might be validating to get a diagnosis if you get some of these tests done, but then it also can become very hard to unlearn those diagnoses because really in conventional medicine, once you have a diagnosis, it's like, yeah, you always have that diagnosis. So that's a huge, huge one that I see is a a big con. Um, It also can be very invalidating because often Mm -hmm. all of these tests come back normal, right? And you're like, okay, all these tests came back normal. Everything's fine, but Mm -hmm. I'm still having digestive symptoms on a day-to-day basis. So that can be really frustrating and invalidating. And another big one, it doesn't often provide direction, especially if you're seeing a conventional doctor. So... I mean, most of their recommendations are very vague and yes, they might give you a specific recommendation or medication, but often it doesn't give you enough direction to actually resolve the gut issues that you're struggling with. Another one that I thought of too is that it often takes months to get in to see someone. I had a client a couple months ago who had who wanted to get a colonoscopy just to kind of rule out any kind of more severe cases. And I think she had to wait like four months to oh see the doctor. Goodness. So, I mean, that's that's a huge frustrating thing too, is that it takes it can take a long time to actually like get things moving with a lot of these tests. So it's not very, I mean, if you're struggling, you want to get answers quick yeah. and that's super frustrating. And really, even when they do, when or if they do find something, they will usually give you the same advice, right? Drink mm-hmm. more water, exercise more eat more fiber, take a probiotic, maybe do the low FODMAP diet. And even then, I mean, I still, when I was seeing practitioners, they did, they said nothing about diet. So it was, it was those things, drink more water, exercise more, or they'll just prescribe you medications. So, I mean, yes, it can be validating to know maybe something's going on, but really their recommendations are very, very vague and not helpful. So also if they can't find anything specifically wrong, um, they might tell you like, at least what they told me, you have a little bit of inflammation, you have IBS. And it was like, okay, IBS is inflammatory bowel syndrome. And so my bowel's inflamed. Like what is causing that? What am I supposed to do? Same advice they'll give you. Really, it's not a root cause approach. It's not really identifying what's going on at the root of everything Um, and it also kind of perpetuates this idea that there's just one wrong thing with you and you need a very Mm. specific protocol to fix just that one thing when as you will see when we talk more about our experience it's usually never one minute thing you have to change it's Mm -hmm. like your entire lifestyle needs to change Mm -hmm. it's not just this one piece of your life that needs to change and another big one that I find really uh, hard for a lot of people is that it you're putting your trust in these outside sources to tell you what's wrong with you what you need to do um and it really just dis- can disconnect you from your own experience I love that and I think really going back to that you like get this test done and you might find something wrong with you but then the like follow-up is virtually nothing there's little to no nutrition advice given by these doctors um 
and it's obvious it's often just like a prescription here's a prescription Mm -hmm. because that's how they get paid and we don't think all doctors are bad or evil and whatnot but again you like get this test done you might find something wrong with you which is could be validating like you said but then the protocol to actually heal you is just a pill not like actual lifestyle changes so that is one of the biggest problems i see with getting these conventional tests done yes totally agree um so that's kind of like the standard testing that you you might get done as far as some alternatives so if you've been kind of down the mainstream medical route you might be frustrated with the advice given or the support that you maybe have not been given so maybe you go see a bunch of convention or bunch of alternative doctors right so i saw tons of like naturopaths or functional Mm -hmm. medicine people so they also do a lot of testing so um within the alternative realm they could do a more comprehensive blood work panel they may do like a gi map or a more comprehensive stool test maybe they'll test you for SIBO. maybe they'll test you for candida or other bacterial overgrowth they can do like things like energy testing or biofeedback also a lot of them will do food sensitivity testing so that's blood it's not a skin prick test so there's more for sure but those are some of the bigger ones that i see that um people are most often doing as far as pros go some of these may be able to provide you with a little bit more specific information to help you come up with a more specific protocol so in the alternative realm they technically they do have more tools and I feel like Mm -hmm. they are they are a little bit more nuanced and have more of a an idea of um, some other other ways to support you as opposed to just medications And again, it can also be very validating knowing a little bit more about specifically what might be going on in your body. Um, So those are the two pros that I thought of. As far as cons go, one of the biggest ones, again, insurance most often won't cover these tests. So I remember going to see a naturopath Mm. and I had to pay like 500 plus dollars out of pocket to get all this blood work done. So that's a stressor. That's a lot. Um, so that's, that's a big downfall of a lot of these is that a lot of those alternative practitioners don't take insurance. So you're paying out of pocket. Another one, again, a whole diagnosis can become part of your identity. So I got diagnosed with SIBO multiple times and I'm like, I was like, okay, I have SIBO now. And, um, you might get diagnosed with different things in the alternative realm. So those are just adding kind of more layers to this, this health story that you have. So that's another big one. Another huge one is that it can create a lot of food fear, especially with food sensitivity testing. Mm -hmm. So I have a ton of clients who come to me with tons of, they've gotten all these food sensitivity tests done. And more often than not, these food sensitivity tests really just indicate how inflamed or imbalanced your gut is. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to take all those foods out and never consume them again. It's like your your digestive system just needs a lot of support in order to heal. You should be able to tolerate those foods again. Um, also, a lot of I see a lot of similarities with the things that come up on food sensitivity testing. So common ones include gluten, dairy, soy, mm-hmm. sugar, oats, sesame, almonds, and pineapple. I also had a client once who had things like baby lettuces, like she was reacting to, (laughs) which again is to me, that doesn't necessarily mean she needs to take those out completely. It's just like your gut is so reactive to foods Mm -hmm. like that you're reacting to baby lettuce. Exactly. So that can, I mean, that's one of the biggest ones that I think 
is is harmful is like it can create so much food fear yep to me that is probably the biggest downfall of food sensitivity tests it's like okay yes this might be helpful but sometimes the types of food are also the types of food that you eat most most. often and so it's like of course you're gonna show up because that's the food that you're eating so often and then it just creates this huge list of food fears that's going to cause more stress and from all of our episodes we know that stress is the worst aspect of health or is the most harmful and Mm -hmm. so that is my huge beef with these food sensitivity tests yes so much food fear and i found like when i did it i restricted my diet even more and i underate we always talk about like the importance of eating enough enough. and it's like my diet was so limited there was no way i was able to eat enough because i could hardly eat any foods no and even me today like i have really good health i have strong digestion i really don't have that many issues at all if i were to take this test there would be things that popped up absolutely and like is it really going to be beneficial for me to limit those? I don't know about that. A hundred percent. And I find that some people too, they have foods that come up on the test that they're like, oh, I actually, I didn't think I reacted to that. And then Mm. they now think that they do. And then, so they have a reaction to it. So it's, yeah, it's, it's not a good side effect of doing food sensitivity tests. So that's another big one. Um, again, it just, I feel like it just adds another layer to like this, this list of like, quote unquote, what's wrong with you, right? You're like, okay, great. I have IBS. Okay. Now this functional medicine doctor says I also have candida and mm-hmm. then I also have SIBO and just adds more layers to kind of this diagnosis picture. And really it can create a, a really obsessive relationship with food and supplements too. Again, kind of back to the whole food sensitivity thing. Um, it also, again, relies on an outside source to tell you your own lived experience. So, yeah, I mean, you, you're you in your body day to day, but then, you know, if you're relying on these tests to tell you what's going on with your body, it's you're still relying on something outside of yourself to kind of dictate how you live your day-to-day life. And again, a lot of these tests still don't get to the underlying cause of what's what's causing your issues in the first place. It also perpetuates this idea, again, that something's wrong with you. We have to go in and fix these things with food or supplements. Um, And just to give you an example with my SIBO. So I was diagnosed with SIBO like three different times. And I did the whole antibiotic. Well, I did like an herbal antibiotic protocol. And I did this specific diet. And I did all this regimented things. Um, Felt better for a month or two. And then the SIBO came back. And I took the SIBO test again. And it was positive. And... It was just like this, even though I figured out I had SIBO Mm -hmm. and I did the protocol and I did all the things right, I was very restrictive and very regimented and followed it perfectly, it continued to come back and it really just, it provided some direction, but still that direction like led me to back where I was. That sounds so exhausting. So exhausting. I remember when I was doing a SIBO protocol, I had to take supplements like before I ate and then when I ate and then two hours after, like all throughout the day all these different types of like antimicrobial agents and biofilm disruptors and motility agents and the super restrictive dietary protocol and yeah it was ridiculous (laughs) and then the other idea too is often we think like okay you're low in this certain mineral or vitamin like let's just supplement with it Mm -hmm. i mean i feel like this is very common in functional medicine especially 
Yep. It's like vitamin D, right? You're low in vitamin D. Okay, take vitamin D. It's like mm-hmm. your body literally doesn't work like that. No. Magnesium affects your vitamin D, mm-hmm. your amount of stress, uh, your calcium, your vitamin K2. Like your body doesn't work in these isolated ways. So just because you're deficient in vitamin D doesn't mean you just need to supplement with vitamin D. Like it is, there's so many different things going on. So I feel like that's another big problem with kind of identifying like deficiencies or you know, things that you might need to, to increase in your diet or increase in your body. It's just, it doesn't work that way. No, your body would much prefer the vitamin D from the sun, which is a completely different chemical structure makeup than supplemental vitamin D. 100%. So, um, just to give you an idea with my own experience with testing, again, I did all the tests. I, back in 20, let's see, 2013 that's when I started like Mm. seeing conventional doctors because my gut issues were out of control really debilitating they did I got a colonoscopy I got an endoscopy I did the stool test I did blood work like everything came back normal um they said oh yeah you have a little bit of inflammation in your gut in your small intestine um you have I you know you have IBS and then it was like take fiber take probiotics didn't say anything about my diet So, of course, I was like, well, I feel terrible every single day. And this was not helpful. It was very invalidating to my own experience. Um, And so I did all the conventional things. Like I, um, again, got like I got tested for SIBO and I got tested for food sensitivities. And I had technically low thyroid function. And I just got kind of more diagnosis or more, there were just more layers to the picture. It was, yeah, it was a little bit more helpful because there was a little bit more guidance with kind of alternative medicine. But again, those protocols did not help me long-term. What were the foods that came back on your food sensitivity? Gluten, dairy, <laughs> so, like the same ones I said, gluten, dairy, soy, sugar, oats, um, pineapple, almonds. Oh my God. And you literally, I mean, some of those foods we don't like, so we don't really eat soy, Eggs. but- Eggs. Eggs were another one. Yep. Eggs, dairy, mm-hmm. um, sugar. We You eat all those things now. Yes. So what's the point? Yes. Yeah, really. And like I, like I was exploring alternative medicine for what? Like five to seven years. Yeah. So I was, yeah, I got like tons and tons of different testing things done. Ultimately, it was so overwhelming. Uh, I spent a lot of money on it. It was also very invalidating because I didn't feel like when I saw doctors, it was just like, let's just do another test. Like, I don't feel like they ever like sat me down and like really like asked me about my symptoms day to day. Um, it made me super obsessive about food stuff, obviously with especially food sensitivity testing that I got done before. Um, it also made me feel out of control. Like I felt like I constantly had to rely on someone else to kind of do a test to tell me what was going on in my own body. Mm. Um, I also felt like I had to continually get those tests done to like make sure things were going in the right direction. So it was never, I'd never had this like internal sense of trust. I was always like, oh, I got to get this test done to make sure I'm feeling better. Mm. Um, people even ask me now like oh did you get tested for SIBO again to make sure it went away and I'm like no because I have no symptoms related to that so but that wasn't the case before I was always looking for another test to kind of validate my own experience so overall in my experience testing was not helpful at all 
um, over the course of almost a decade of trying to figure out what was wrong with me, none of the practitioners really, like I said, did a comprehensive analysis of my own individual symptoms. And they also, yeah, they also just didn't ask me about a lot of stuff. They never asked me about my stress. They never asked me like how much food I was eating on Mm -hmm. a daily basis or how much protein I ate or what types of protein Mm -hmm. I ate or did I get sunlight? Like what what were my exercise habits like? None of that. Um, And ultimately I felt like, I feel like with a lot of these, it was just, I call it like micromanaging the body, right? You're like, oh, this one thing one specific thing is wrong let's like give you this supplement to do this one thing it's like the body doesn't work that way it's a very like number focused and logical way of thinking about the body which works for some people but it definitely has a point where it does not work anymore no so that was a lot do you have anything to add no i just think it's like you know your own body best and I'm going to say this soon too about hormone testing, but I just hate the idea of chasing numbers on a piece of paper. And it's like, you have this piece of paper with all these results trying to validate how you feel where it's like, that is such an unnatural and weird way to live to just like, Oh, let's try to make my numbers optimal instead of just like trying to feel optimal without having some piece of paper trying to validate how you actually feel so I feel like that's my biggest beef with testing yeah yeah I absolutely agree so if you're wondering okay like so I shouldn't take all these tests what am I supposed to do instead so one of the biggest ones is like Bella just said you go off your symptoms and so Mm -hmm. this is a kind of complex topic because you kind of have to understand more about how the body works and kind of what symptoms come up when certain things aren't functioning so we're we're probably going to go over more of this in another episode. We also go over this type of stuff in um, our own practices. So in my group course, in my one-on-one coaching, um, and also in Bella's course, we're very, we get very specific about what certain symptoms might mean. So um, really, like in my one-on-one coaching practice, for example, we go over the entire digestive tract. We talk about what all the different organs involved what happens when they're not functioning like what symptoms come up when you have Mm -hmm. a dysfunction in your nervous system or with your stomach acid or with your liver whatever it is so you just have to know a little bit more about symptoms um and working with someone who can teach you this and also how to interpret your own symptoms and feel empowered to take charge of your own health i think is important too Um, I never felt empowered when I was working with like functional medicine people or naturopaths or any doctor because they never taught me how to kind of take care of my own body and decipher my own symptoms so that I felt confident doing that. So that's the big one. Just going off of your symptoms. Um, You can do something called like the beat motility test. A lot of people will recommend this if you're trying to test your transit time. So if you haven't ever eaten beets and seen your stool change mm. color, that's what I'm talking about. So you can eat beets and essentially wait till you see like this, the change of color in your stool. Um, a normal motility is like 18 to 24 hours. But again, that's not necessary because for the most part, you can tell if you have fast motility or slow motility, yeah. right? If you're constipated and your poop is pebbly and like very dry and hard to pass, you're not moving food through fast enough if you have diarrhea or looser stools your transit time is fast like Mm -hmm. it's it's also that simple um i've also done like a stomach acid test you can um do it i never recommend this but i'm just mentioning it because 
I know people might want to research it. Basically, you use HCL or hydrochloric acid capsules and you take them with a protein-rich meal. Technically, the more capsules you need to take to feel some kind of acid reflux or heartburn, the lower your stomach acid is. Interesting. So that's something that I've done before. Um, And also, here's the thing with stomach acid, though. Just to give you an example with the symptoms, you can really tell if you have low stomach acid based on your symptoms. So if you don't tolerate red meat well, you feel like it's like heavy. If there's like a brick in your stomach after you eat red meat or just after you eat in general, if you experience heartburn and nausea and undigested food in your stool, if you have brittle hair or nails, if you struggle with mineral deficiencies, things like iron, calcium, magnesium, if you find it hard to digest protein in general, Those are all signs of low stomach acid. There's so many more to that. But as you can see, there are so many different ways to tell Mm -hmm. if you have low stomach acid, right? You can just go off of your symptoms. So another thing too is also just knowing what a normal stool looks like. I mean, this can help you kind of identify where you're at with your bowel movements, right? So a normal poop should come on slow like the feeling comes on slow it shouldn't be urgent it's super easy to pass like a minute or less you shouldn't be sitting in the bathroom for more than a couple minutes it should be dark brown it sinks it looks like a brown banana it's pretty easy to wipe and you feel really satisfied after so if that's not you then you know like some there's some kind of digestive dysfunction going on also I always mention this, but your digestive system is a system. There are like nine to 12 organs involved in good digestion. Mm-hmm. There's, It's not that one piece of your digestive system is not functioning. It is usually the entire system that needs support. So even if you figure out, right, like with SIBO, you have a small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. That, yes, is in your small intestine, but you probably need thyroid support and mm-hmm. nervous system support and liver and gallbladder support. Like it is all, they all affect each other. So that's kind of what to do instead. Um, Also, you can do a GI map with the help of a practitioner, right? So this is essentially a stool test. It can show you kind of bacterial imbalances, your reaction to gluten, how well you digest fats. Again, even then though, I have clients who come to me with a GI map and I look at it. I'm like, okay, yeah, there's a bacterial overgrowth. You probably have low stomach acid based on your symptoms. You clearly don't digest fat well because your stool looks like this. Like there are signs and symptoms that we can also use. So sometimes that's validating for people. They want to know that information. I would say just find a practitioner that knows how to decipher that. I know a lot of people will just get a GI map by themselves and then they're like, okay, now what? And they have Mm -hmm. no support to kind of navigate what that means. So those are kind of what to do instead. Oh, that was so helpful for all those who are struggling with gut issues. I know that would be helpful, not necessarily for me, but for my mom in the past because she has hardcore struggled with IBS and we were talking about bloating the other day and she was like, oh, I wish I could have listened to your podcast in my thirties when I was struggling with that. So, so helpful for those struggling with gut issues. Now let's go into the common testing methods for those in the hormone health world. So for a conventional test, when it comes to hormones, they're typically blood tests, especially for thyroid, but you can also do a blood test for estrogen, progesterone, uh, androgens, testosterone, and other hormones. But I feel like the most common hormone test is usually thyroid hormones. 
um, because so many people struggle with poor thyroid function. So one of the biggest things, and I guess this is a con, I'm starting with cons, about thyroid tests is that typical your typical Western medicine doctor only tests for TSH. And this can be helpful because low TSH indicates that your thyroid hormones are struggling and your thyroid is struggling, but it definitely doesn't give you the full picture, especially because it can be false. If your stress hormones are high, that can also increase TSH. So if you have I if you have low TSH, but you also have high stress hormones, which stress and thyroid are inversely related to each other, having high TSH isn't gonna tell you anything if that's all you're testing for. So if you definitely have symptoms of poor thyroid function, it's definitely more helpful to ask for a, th- a full thyroid panel, which involves TSH, how the brain communicates with your thyroid, along with free T3. Free T3 is your active thyroid hormone. Free T4, which is your inactive thyroid hormone. Reverse T3, which halts that T4 to T3 conversion and can show if your thyroid function is poor. And then also TPO or antibodies, those can show if you have Hashimoto's, which is basically an inflammation of the thyroid gland. So to get all of these done instead of just TSH can give you a much better picture and much better idea of what's going on with your thyroid health. Again, this can be super validating. Maybe you struggle with fatigue and you have all the symptoms of poor thyroid function and you get this test done and you realize, oh yes, my reverse T3 is super high and my TSH is low or whatnot. That can be very validating and help you kind of give some answers. But like we talked about before, most of these doctors their solution is just like, here's some thyroid medication. Like there's almost never nutritional advice or lifestyle changes given. So that's one huge thing, huge problem we see with conventional testing methods. Um, So let's go through some more of the cons. Like we've been talking about, we care way more about your symptoms rather than your test results. Again, chasing numbers on a piece of paper, this can be so exhausting and honestly unnatural to like aim to keep your thyroid levels at a certain level. That just, I don't know, that's how nature doesn't work that way. What did we do before we had all of these, all this access to all these testing? We didn't try to chase numbers on a piece of paper. Um, Another huge thing about blood tests especially is that they're only a snapshot in time. So they only tell you what's happening right now in this moment and so maybe you're feeling really bad but then a few months goes by and you're feeling better and that's when you get your test done so then it might look okay when in reality you're have you're a human you're not a robot you have ebbs and flows and so some days you might have better function where other days you might have less and so this is when we get into alternative one alternative test that you can do at the, in the comfort of your own home that gives you a daily idea of how your thyroid's doing that I'll talk about in a moment. And like I mentioned, these protocols that follow after getting your thyroid tested is often just like a prescription or they might give you some nutrition advice, but I think that's super rare. So if you're interested in other types of hormone testing, there are alternatives such as the Dutch test and even HTMA test can tell you a lot, especially about 
your thyroid function and uh, your adrenal glands and whereas the dutch test can tell you more about your estrogen levels testosterone uh, and progesterone levels so first let's talk about some of the pros of these types of testing well they obviously give you a great deal of insight into your mineral levels and your hormone levels especially with the htma test that stands for hair tissue mineral analysis test um, that you basically take a piece of your hair and you send it to a lab and that gives you a three month idea of what's going on in your body not just like a snapshot in time like blood tests do so it can definitely be a better indicator of what's going on in your body um, and this can also obviously help you to figure out which hormones to fork focus on especially if you have like no idea where to start and you're totally clueless again this can give you a lot of guidance on where to go give you validation of that something's wrong something's high something's low but also it's kind of interesting i don't think i've ever seen an hdma test that's perfect so it's like are we searching or are we striving to have a perfect hdma test i think that's virtually impossible so let's talk about some of the cons of these tests Again, we become obsessed with our results, and this is the huge problem we see with any type of testing. It's like, I have this, now I am this, I am sick, you know, I am diagnosed. I don't think it can be helpful at all to like identify with your diagnosis. That's just gonna drive you further and further into that diagnosis more often than not. Not always, but I see that over and over again in so many women. Um, it also can can aid in like a food obsessions and food fears, kind of like we talked about with the GI map and those food sensitivity tests. Um, you you might want to either cut out certain foods, or if you're taking an HTMA and some some mineral is super low, you're like, I need to eat enough potassium today. Oh my god, I didn't eat enough potassium today. Like my thyroid's gonna be so bad or whatnot. And so, again, we want to lower those food fears, not try to increase and add to them. Another interesting con is that results can often be misinterpreted. So hopefully, if you're getting an HTMA test, you have someone who's helpful and who knows what they're talking about and can help guide you through it. But if you just get that test done and have no one to interpret to it for you, that can be very confusing. For example, if you have super high magnesium on an HTMA test, that indicates that you're burning through magnesium quicker, not that you necessarily have super high magnesium. So if, you're t if you have super high magnesium and you're taking a supplement of magnesium, you might think, oh my God, I'm taking too much I should stop taking the supplement where in reality it's actually the opposite you're burning through that magnesium super quick so it can be helpful to continue taking that supplement or with the um, Dutch test you might show low estrogen and this shows low estrogen in your saliva but it doesn't necessarily show the estrogen that's stored within your tissues because of our super highly estrogenic society, it's virtually impossible to have low estrogen. So again, you might have low estrogen in your blood or in your saliva, but what is stored in your tissues? Are you going to get a biopsy of your liver or your biopsy of some mm -hmm. part of your body? Probably not. And so again, it's ver some people might be like, oh, I have low estrogen. Why do you always talk about high estrogen, blah, blah, blah? Well, 
low estrogen in reality is actually super, super non-common. I mean, maybe if you're, there are absolutely certain cases, but it's very hard to tell what's actually within your tissues, not just necessarily your blood or saliva. Another con is they can be expensive. HTMA is actually relatively inexpensive. I've had one done for about $100, but again, that's still $100, and insurance is definitely not paying for this. Same with the Dutch tests. Insurance is definitely not paying for this. Um, but Dutch tests, I just looked it up because I was curious how much it was, and it can be $400 to $600. Like, that's a lot of freaking money. I definitely don't have that much money to just spend at ease. So although they might not be as expensive as other tests, they're definitely not um, covered by insurance and they can be expensive depending on your budget. Plus that doesn't even include someone reading it and interpreting the results for you. And again, we're gonna keep saying this, your symptoms are often a better identifier of what's going on you can get these tests and it can show you something or maybe not show you anything, but you still feel like crap. Like you have all the symptoms of low thyroid function, but your thyroid comes back fine. And so they're like, go on your merry way. But you're like, what? I still feel horrible. What? Like that just doesn't make sense. So, and, and often, even if we do get these tests and we get the results, it often tells us something that we already know, especially if you know more about your symptoms and whatnot. So this was totally my experience when it comes to HTMA test. I got an HTMA test, I think it was about a year, maybe two years ago now. But I was just like curious about my results and what they would be. But when I got the results back, it literally didn't tell me anything that I didn't already know. I knew everything that it told me. So one example was, based off your certain mineral levels, it um, will take certain ratios. And so one is like a thyroid ratio, one's a fertility, or I think there's a fertility ratio, maybe not. Um, there's an adrenal ratio. And so my thyroid ratio was high, meaning I had poor thyroid function, but I already knew that from symptoms like cold hands and feet, dry skin, low body temperature, low pulse, constipation, PMS. All of these symptoms indicated I have poor thyroid function. I didn't necessarily need an HTMA test to tell me that. Another one was my adrenal ratio was super low, meaning um, that my adrenal glands were just exhausted and totally burnt out. But I knew that I was exhausted and already burnt out and was struggling with fatigue. So again, I didn't necessarily need that test to confirm what I already knew. Also, when it comes to minerals itself, it told me my magnesium was decent, like at decent levels, which totally made sense because I had been taking magnesium supplements for many years. Um, it also told me that my sodium and potassium levels were low, which also made sense because I wasn't really prioritizing those foods at all. And because I was under so much stress, I was just burning through those minerals so quickly. So overall, these tests can often just confirm what I already know and I know it's definitely easier for me because I research this and I'm into this but by going through so many of our resources and looking at 
I have so many blogs on estrogen dominance and thyroid symptoms and thyroid health and stress that you can just look at your symptoms and identify, okay, I definitely have, I'm struggling with estrogen dominance or I'm struggling with poor thyroid function and go from there and see what kind of nutrition and lifestyle factors you can do to help support you through those. That was a lot, but do you have anything to add? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's all just so fascinating because... Um, I've never really done any of the hormone tests. The thing that I think is interesting is that your symptoms will show up soon, right? And then I feel like it takes, there's a delay, right? There's a delay for things to actually come come up on blood work. That's what I find is, is the case for most people is that they have these symptoms of what whatever it might be low thyroid function or low stomach acid or whatever they get testing done it invalidates that and they're like okay well i actually don't have i'm not struggling Mm -hmm. with low thyroid when it's like actually no you are you're in the very early stages of it it's just not presented itself on this lab work because it takes a long time to kind of like your body has resources it's gonna like start to get to a point where it's uh doesn't have those resources anymore but i feel like symptoms will come up first before you actually can see it in some kind of blood work which i think is is fascinating the only other thing is like with the thyroid stuff i always ask my clients about Mm. thyroid testing because that does play a role in their gut health I will ask them, like, have you had a thyroid panel done? Do you know, like, your levels of TSH? Do you have a doctor who did any kind of thyroid tests? And most of them will say, yeah, my doctor did a test. My thyroid was normal. And then I'm like, okay, here are some symptoms of low thyroid function. They're like, oh, my God, I never knew. Like, I have a lot of those symptoms. And I'm like, well, the problem is most doctors will only test TSH, which Mm -hmm. is thyroid-stimulating hormone. I don't know if you mentioned that. I didn't. Thank you. Yes. And the problem is, again, that's, it takes a while for that thyroid stimulating hormone to actually show up abnormal on lab work. Meanwhile, you could be struggling with all these symptoms that literally are all signs of low thyroid function. Um, And yeah, doctors will usually only run that lab. I think they will sometimes run a full thyroid panel I don't know if you, I think you might have to pay additional money mm, to get the entire thyroid panel done. And you also have to ask for it. Like mm-hmm. your doctor won't do that. Exactly. You literally have to ask them to f- run the full thyroid panel. So if you didn't know about a full thi- thyroid panel, exactly. you would never know to ask them about it. So yeah, it's just the thyroid stuff is interesting um, because again, most of my clients say, yeah, I have like my thyroid levels were normal. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, well, let's look more at your symptoms and see what you're struggling with and see if that's actually true. Because based on your symptoms, it seems like you're, you have some kind of low underactive thyroid function. So, so interesting. Yeah. It's interesting when I talk about cold hands and feet and, and I ask like, do you have cold hands and feet? And they're like, oh my God, yes. What does that mean? And I'm like... That is probably one of the most common symptoms ever. Um, I also think we didn't really mention this, but even with, especially with conventional testing, what is optimal is not always tested. They're just testing to make, to see if you're like in that far gone disease state. Like I don't want to just avoid disease. I want to be an optimal human and like be my best self. So I just think it's really interesting that they just slice it into that part of oh you're not a disease yet but yeah. again like you said 
these symptoms often come before the lab test can even can show, show that. So yeah. again, another amazing reason of why we should go off symptoms instead, which brings me to my ne- next point. What should we do if we think we have poor thyroid function or estrogen dominance or low progesterone? Well, go off your symptoms. And I'm going to talk briefly about some of the most common low thyroid symptoms and what to do about them. I want to also mention that low thyroid and high stress are inversely related to each other. So if you have a lot of stress, if you're under eating or whatnot, your thyroid will be low. If you have low thyroid, your stress hormones will probably be high. So again, like I just mentioned, cold hands and feet is one of the most like aha moments of like, oh my God, I definitely have poor thyroid function. Um, What do you need to do that to kind of combat that you need more nutrients you need to lower the stress in your life you need to eat more often you just need more nutrients like so many of the food we eat in our modern day is so nutrient poor that it's no wonder low thyroid function is so common another one is if you have painful periods or pms that's another huge sign that your thyroid is struggling so some ways to reverse this are working um on reversing excess estrogen, improving estrogen detoxification, and removing those xenoestrogens from your life, which we will talk about definitely in more episodes. Fatigue and burnout, clear signs of struggling with thyroid function. We need sodium, magnesium, potassium, all of those crucial minerals in order to in, in to support our adrenal glands and support burnout and fatigue and again we don't necessarily need an htma test to tell us that you need magnesium sodium potassium no if you're feeling burnt out and if you feel like your adrenals are running on overload working on improving and increasing those minerals from whether it be food or possibly supplementation can be super helpful um and honestly just chilling the f out like our modern world is so stressful and we put so much pressure on ourselves that reducing your stress i know we sound like a broken record but it can be so so helpful definitely listen to our two stress episodes if you're struggling with fatigue or burnout constipation or bloating another clear sign that you're struggling with low thyroid function usually in this case you need more more nutrients more food gentle fibers more minerals and we have a whole episode coming out just about constipation and bloating so keep an eye out for that dry skin and acne is another huge indicator of poor thyroid function and high stress we want to support our liver function if you're struggling with this with animal proteins simple easy to digest carbs and so on Uh, thinning hair or having your hair fall out is another clear indicator of poor thyroid function again it almost always comes back to more nutrients more food often or just more nutrient dense food not as much crappy bs low libido or infertility uh, is another huge indicator of poor thyroid function and low temps and pulses which i'll get to in one moment but let's also talk about estrogen dominance and low progesterone so certain symptoms like pms heavy painful periods irregular or missing periods and then of course all the pms symptoms so bloating constipation mood swings irritability sore boobs all of these are an indicator that you likely have too much estrogen and not enough progesterone. So some really simple, easy ways to combat combat this are 
I know we sound like a broken record, but keeping your blood sugar stable by eating enough and often enough, I would say every four to five hours, eating nutrient-dense animal protein, easy to digest carbs, saturated fats, lowering your stress, getting enough sleep, getting adequate sunlight, especially will help improve your progesterone, lowering all the toxins in your life. Work on all of these things. Work on increasing your nutrients, lowering the stress in life, and then see what happens with your symptoms. You might never need testing if you're working on these things first. So this brings me to my next point about tracking your temps and pulses. So instead of getting a blood test to test your thyroid, um, one super easy way to identify how your thyroid is functioning on a day-to-day basis is by taking your waking morning Uh, temperature and your pulse. I have a whole blog post that goes more in detail about that and I think we can definitely link that below. But most people who have low thyroid function will have a low temperature and a low pulse rate. Again, we're gonna also talk about this in a future episode on thyroid, on low thyroid and Hashimoto's, so stay tuned for that. But overall, if if you're waking temperature is below 97 degrees, that's a huge indicator that your thyroid function is low. If your waking pulse is below like 65 to 70 beats per minute, huge indicator that your thyroid function is poor. And again, this can change on a day-to-day basis. So if you don't get that much sleep and you went out with your girlfriends last night and you drank a bunch and you wake up and you have low pulse and temps, like that kind of makes sense. But if you're eating enough and doing all the things right and you still have low pulse, then it might be um, helpful to investigate more. And lastly, just tracking your cycle. Again, when you look at your symptoms, it can be so helpful to identify what's going on in your body. So if you're struggling things like PMS or you notice around your luteal phase that you're more bloated or constipated or you struggle with mood swings or breast tenderness, um, or if you struggle with painful period, painful periods like I did for so many years, that's all a clear sign that there's likely too much estrogen and not enough progesterone. Again, we're gonna have another episode coming on this. Okay, that was all a lot and so amazing. I feel like I feel like you gave so many different ideas of yes of ways to test your your hormones. <clears throat> excuse me without like the need to actually get a blood or spend $500 on on a Dutch test. Absolutely. Um, Okay, so while we do believe testing can be a helpful tool, we definitely don't think it's the first step. So again, before spending thousands of dollars on testing and lots of time and energy, again, back to the basics, make sure you have the fundamentals down. Like getting enough deep sleep, getting outside daily, spending time in nature and grounding, eating enough protein per day, eating enough carbs and fat. We have an episode. Episode two is all about our nourishing foundations. Mm -hmm. As we said before, managing your stress. Episode four and 16 will have so much more info on this. Also, uh, just eating enough food in general, eating food every four to five hours. I find that I need at least three solid meals a day and then maybe an afternoon snack and probably a bedtime snack. And just eating enough calories in general, like at least 1,800 
calories per day minimum, likely probably more. Um, focusing on overall nutrient-dense foods, animal proteins, organ meats, dairy products, fruits, root veggies, squash, getting enough salt in daily. Um, all of those foods are the basis of your body and who you are and how and your structure and how you function. So getting all of those foods in daily can be super, super helpful. Uh, walking and strength training. Again, sometimes people are exercising too much and while other people are not exercising enough, so finding that middle ground that works best for you. Supporting your nervous system, things like humming, gargling, singing, deep belly breaths, walking, mindfulness, maybe even some very minimal cold exposure. We don't really like cold exposure, but if your nervous system can handle that, it can definitely be super helpful. And just prioritizing fun, joy, laughing, singing, community, all of these things are where we should be starting. So many of us are like, something's wrong with me, I need to go test. Where it's like, are you doing all these things? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you nourishing your body? Let's start actually there. And then if you are if you have all of these foundations down and you're still struggling with sim- certain symptoms, then I think it can be helpful to get some testing done, especially more of the alternative tests. But, I find that so many people just go straight to the testing and don't focus on the foundations. And in that case, you can waste a lot of time and money um, just by not working on the foundations. Like if we don't have the foundations down and right, of course your tests aren't gonna come back great. So why not just work on the foundations first and then see if we need testing from there on. Yeah, and I think it's pretty frustrating for some people at least it was for me to get like to realize I had to work on the foundations because it again it was a it was a mindset shift because instead of me kind of micromanaging and trying to fix this one thing it was Mm -hmm. like actually you need to work on all these different foundational pieces and give it time and like trust your body like trust your body that it knows exactly how to heal and what to do yes that's a very different that it's a very different mentality to come at your symptoms with that mindset rather than this very logical science number focused way. So it is a very different perspective, but really, yeah, for so many of my clients, I'm yeah, we just focus on those foundational pieces and then things just like disappeared. Like all these random things that they had, come up we didn't even need to know what was quote-unquote wrong it's just like their body needed these foundational things and it knew how to work itself out absolutely I feel like that is so important especially for minerals because it's like I need to focus on this one specific mineral and get it up but it's like your body knows how to take the minerals from your food assimilate them and utilize them in the places that they need like you don't have to think about doing Mm -hmm. any of those things your body is brilliant and we'll do it for you absolutely so in summary you don't have to test to come up with a really successful amazing protocol that's going to work for you as you know now so many of this these testing methods are very new they can be expensive and as you know they can come with a lot of cons And if you're not testing, know that you're not always just guessing. There's, again, that whole test, don't guess. It's You're not guessing. You're not going into it blindly if you don't test. There are other ways, like we've discussed, going off your symptoms, knowing more about how your body functions, tracking your cycle, tracking your symptoms. All of those things can be helpful. 
in assessing and giving you some guidance. So there are so many ways to assess the body aside from blood stool and hair tests. I found again in my practice, or I found that a lot of practitioners almost like scare people into testing because they feel like you have to test before you know what protocol to do or what to focus on and feel like maybe I feel like a lot of people feel like they can't heal without figuring out what's wrong first, which as you know, you don't have to do that in order to have success. So I also find that most of my clients come to me after doing all the tests. They've had the colonoscopies, Mm. endoscopies, they've had blood work, they've had the GI map done, yet they still continue to have symptoms come up. So you can get all the tests done and that still might not help you also. So I think a One of the biggest ones for me is the downfall of testing is that it really just takes you out of your own body and out of your own experience. Remember, you're not a set of numbers and you cannot be summarized on a lab worksheet. No, absolutely. And back to the test, don't guess. Like, I don't need a test to tell me that I need sunlight daily or a test to tell me to get enough adequate protein. Like, that's not necessary. Those are just basic human foundations. And usually if we do those foundations... Our symptoms will resolve themselves because the human body is brilliant and we just need the basics. So ultimately, we have both found in our experience and in our business that dialing down on all of these foundations is what is crucial and helpful um, to actually resolve your symptoms. We get that this is totally going against many people's thoughts and recommendations I have people coming up to me and be like do you do any testing a part of your course and I'm like no because so much of my course is based off symptoms and people have seen huge results just again by going based off their symptoms and changing their nutrition and lifestyle factors so ultimately you know your body best even when I took that HTMA test I was like this might be interesting it might tell me something that I don't already know and then I was like Oh, it's everything I already know. Okay, like Mm -hmm. I'm solid. I'm definitely on the right path. I know that I don't need to keep getting these tests or chasing numbers in order to find health and success in my own body. So you might find that you're doing all the foundations and you're doing everything right and you're still struggling with symptoms. Then I can totally see considering some additional testing. We always say this, I especially always say this in my course, that you are your own best healer and no one knows you and your body better than you. I just thought of one more thing that's cool too. I love it. Is that tests don't, they don't show you all the other, what do I want to call them? Like all the other wins, right? Like I had a client the other day who was talking Mm. about how she finally was like giving herself permission to enjoy foods that she had been restricting because she thought they were quote unquote unhealthy. Like a test doesn't show you that, right? A test does not celebrate all like your non-scale victories or like your non-number victories, right? Like the mindset shifts, like your happiness and joy. Like a test will not celebrate that type of stuff, right? Like, And that stuff is also so important to like your progress, right? Yes. So yeah. Ultimately, yeah, like Bella said, you know your body best. Um, testing can be helpful, but yeah, just now you have more resources and things to consider when you are presented with that idea of like, you have to test. Um, test, don't guess. <laughs> so thank you so much for listening. Bella, where can listeners find more support and info from you? 
All of my info is on my website, nourishwithbella.com. What about you, Maddie? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at thegutgoddess or on my website, thegutgoddess.com. I love it. Thank you so much. This was a fun episode. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.